I mean, it's interesting the timing of Ron Klain leaving in the middle of the document mess, although I know he was looking for months to leave. But, you know, he's, I'm sure there's a part of him that's like, this is your problem now. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, January 27th. Today, I'm joined by Tara Palmieri to discuss Joe Biden's new incoming White House Chief of Staff, Jeff Zients, who he is exactly, and how he might do things a little differently in the West Wing than the outgoing boss, Ron Klain. And later, John Kelly and Alex Bigler are here with questions, comments, and of course, constructive criticism from Puck readers and listeners to the powers that be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be. netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Friday, everybody. Go Bengals. Who day? I'm joined today by Tara Palmieri. Tara, how are you? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Hey, I want to ask you about a personnel change at the White House, which is a okay. big deal. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe Biden, his chief of staff since taking office, was his you know longtime off and on advisor, Ron Klain. And mm-hmm. Ron announced last week that he is stepping down. That is a hell of a job. I'm sure he's burned out. It's been a busy two years, but like that job will age a lot of people. Totally. His replacement is Biden's former coronavirus response coordinator, Jeffrey Zients. And trust me, I looked it up, it's pronounced Zients. What can you tell me about him? Why is he the choice to replace Ron Klain? And what might he do differently, if anything? So Jeffrey Zients is kind of considered a person, a process person, an operator, the kind of guy who makes sure that the trains run on time. He worked in the Office of Management Budget under Obama. Uh, He worked in the National Economic Council, and he worked in private equity as well. He was Mm. on the board at Facebook. He's got pretty hefty credentials when it comes to dealing with the economy. And as you know, the economy is 
definitely shrinking. And we've got debt ceiling issues coming up. And he knows a lot about how government works when it's dysfunctional. I mean, let's not forget the shutdowns of the of the Obama years. He's not really considered Biden person per se. But I heard that they got close at the end of the Obama term when, you know, people had very little use for Joe Biden. He had said he was no longer he wasn't going to run for president. He was bowing out to let Hillary mm-hmm. and uh, Zions came and sort of offered him some private advice about changing over to being a private citizen. And, you know, it's funny, someone I was talking to in the corporate world was sort of saying, like, you know, it's sort of underestimated how valuable that can be for people who have for so long worked in public sector like Joe Biden had. So they kind of forged a bond being the one high profile, you know, Obama aide who's interested in Biden. And Mm -hmm. Also, Ted Kaufman, who's Biden's longtime aide, confidant, he also really believed in Zions, which is how he first got involved in Biden's transition. And Mm -hmm. it just made sense. And I gathered from my reporting that Ron Klain had a big say in his replacement. Jeff Zions is a lot like Ron Klain. I don't expect that he'll be on Twitter all the time like Ron Klain was or doing messaging. I don't even know if that he is on Twitter. Mm -hmm. He may not care as much about his public profile, but he's the kind of guy will make sure that the White House is operating while the rest of the team, you know, the comms people like uh, Anita Dunn and, you know, Mike Donilon, Steve Reschetti, Jen O'Malley, Dillon, the other people in, in Biden's inner circle are out there on the campaign trail. And so it's an interesting choice. And it doesn't, to me, signify a real strategy shift in any way. It feels like continue onward. Uh, he's lucky that he doesn't really have to do a lot of legislating. In the sense that, you know, Ron Klain did. So it's pretty much keep the ship sailing forward kind of it, job. Yeah. And and you say that he won't have to do a lot of legislating because unlike the last two years, Republicans now control the House. And so mm-hmm. there's maybe some things that can get through both chambers. But a lot of governing at this point is going to come from maybe negotiations with leadership. And then you're sort of like managing the day to day functions of government and you know, the occasional executive order. Is that what you mean? Right. I mean, don't expect the biggest legislative package since FDR or whatever Build Back Better was or the artist formerly known as Build Back Better. (laughs) I forgot the name. Yeah, IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, Maybe they'll get something on immigration done. Who knows? Doubtful. I think that's ambitious. I think it's keeping the government running, passing a budget, also flacking from all the investigations that are coming Biden's way, dealing with that. I mean, it's interesting the timing of Ron Klain leaving in the middle of the document mess, although I know he was looking for months to leave. But, you know, he's, I'm sure there's a part of him that's like, this is your problem now. I mean, it also like guys like Klain, I, mean, I think this is like probably a big difference between Klain and Zions, which you pointed out is like Klain's worked on campaigns. He was he worked on the Gore recount, you know, back in 2000. He knows members of Congress. He does. He's done administrations. And he's like a guy who, based on my exchanges with him, but also like looking at his Twitter habits, like it's hard for a guy like that to turn off. And, you know, he'll be out of the game, so to speak. But, you know, Biden, who loves to call around to his like core little inner circle, will still be picking up the phone and calling him. He might jump on and help the campaign at some point. But you got it. Something that reminded me of um, the first term of, of Obama, which is Rahm Emanuel was Obama's first chief of staff. He left. So then Bill Daly comes in. That's a disaster. He lasts like about a year uh, as Obama's chief of staff. Like he, you know, 
alienates day-to-day staffers. He's not really a good manager in the way that Zion supposedly is. And then after Daly was replaced, after like a little over a year, he was replaced by Jack Lew as Obama's chief of staff in basically what was the 2012 election year. And he was like a numbers guy. He worked in the OMB. He did TARP stuff. And he could basically do the like managing of the White House and the government stuff while, Mm. you know, Clough and Axelrod and, you know, Steph Cutter did the campaign. And that sort of feels like what's going on here. We have to start to pivot a little bit to the reelect. And Biden hasn't officially said he's running, but everyone thinks he is. Mm. And then, you know, Jen O'Malley Dillon and Ricketti and Anita Dunn, like those people can like do the politics stuff. Is that right? Yes, I would say that's accurate. I was told Anita would sort of elevate into a David Pluff-like role because, you know, she was long considered on the shortlist for the chief of staff job. She didn't want it. It was what a person close to her told me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she, it was like kind of a decision with her, Ron, the president. They all supported Jeff Science. Mm-hmm. It's a tough job. And like she also comes from that influence shop, SKDK, mm-hmm. where she's a partner. And like I'm sure if you are end up being, you know, chief of staff, your portfolio becomes so broad She'd probably have to recuse herself from a lot of things because they had clients that were in all different places. But yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I I mean, I had heard for a long time his name being bandied about. It's just that I assume that Biden really wanted someone that he had a very strong personal relationship with and he wasn't really considered a Biden insider. But I do think ultimately, like they obviously forged this relationship and he's the guy that's going to keep them afloat while the others are focused on the politics. Yeah. I got a few texts from like just friends who follow politics that were like, why is Klain leaving? Like what? Like expecting there to be some kind of like drama or backstory. And it's just like Trump went through four or five. Obama went through four. Bill Clinton went through like, I think three or four chiefs of staff. Like it's just, it's a, it's a meat grinder. It's a tough job, but I think he deserves like ultimately especially after the midterms, like some credit. Like, I think Republicans tried to paint him like kind of inept over his head, can't log off, obsessed with Twitter. And Biden really accomplished a lot. You want his approval rating to probably be a little bit higher right now, but it's ticking up. You want the economy to like be less shaky. There's certain things, but like he helped Biden get a lot done. And so like when you look back, you know, after this presidency, Mm -hmm. I think he deserves more praise than criticism. And I think he suffered through a lot of criticism, especially last year. Yeah, I think that was because of his handling of Joe Manchin. And Joe Manchin was like very specific that it was But the Manchin stuff worked out. It did once they gave Manchin the pen and let him craft the bill himself. It basically kept the White House out of it. Schumer and and Manchin wrote it together. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And I also think a lot of people felt he pandered too much to the left of the party, which is fine. But in the end, it wasn't really the left that decided what was in the IRA. It became what's acceptable to the right of the party. So Mm -hmm. I think there was a few miscalculations. But at the end of the day, I don't think it hurt them politically because clearly Democrats did pretty well in the midterms. They still have the Senate. So that's right. It was it was. But it seemed like a lot of dysfunction for a while. Yes. But that's always how it is in this when you're in the thick of it. Right. Totally. I think Ron Klain had such a public facing profile. Like he was even doing TV hits. Like you didn't always see that Mm -hmm. from Chiefs of Staff. And I think that was sort of why he ended up getting probably more criticism. And people were calling him out directly. Like Manchin Mm -hmm. basically called him out directly. Mm -hmm. So he assumed a higher profile. And I think, you know, obviously part of it too, Republicans were happy to say that 
you know, Ron Klain is the one holding together the old president, right? That he's That's the puppet right. master. They're always going to have a narrative that, you know, Biden needs a puppet master because he's old. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it is what it is. I think, yeah, his legacy will probably be a, a positive one, though, ultimately, because I guess it doesn't matter how you get there. It's what you get in the end, right? And that that's like the definition of why people criticize Washington political journalism specifically is it's so focused on the sausage making and the process and like who's on board, who's not, who's up, who's down. And like ultimately, we spent a year talking about Build Back Better or Inflation Reduction Act and eventually they got something done. Yeah, but it was different. I, I think the main story about that was it was they were too ambitious. They didn't have this, the votes mm-hmm. to pass a bill as big as they wanted to. They wanted to message that it was the biggest bill. It was a political messaging mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with calling. I, don't, I think it's fine. The reality is they got a bill that was not as big. And like they called it a win. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's politics. Correct. You know? The one thing, though, that you are right about. I mean, I just looked like just to confirm like Zions is not online. He's not on Twitter. He doesn't it doesn't seem like he's going to be doing a lot of, you know, MSNBC hits in the morning <laughs> from the White House lawn. So uh, we can be sure that the next White House chief of staff will at least not be posting as much as Klain. We don't know if he has a burner account that he lurks on like Pierre Delecto, but uh, we shall see. <laughs> Tara, thanks so much. Funny. Thanks so much. When we come back, John Kelly talks to Alex Bigler about how much you all love Puck. Hey guys, it's Peter. I travel all the time, especially in an election year. And as we all know, what luggage you choose matters. Briggs & Riley is my personal favorite because their luggage performs. It's extremely durable, has amazing features that make packing and getting around easier, and they have the best lifetime guarantee in the industry. If your bag is ever broken or damaged, they will repair it free of charge. No proof of purchase needed, no questions asked, even if an airline damages your bag. All features were created to address customer pain points for a better travel experience. They're extremely durable with rigorous testing and premium materials to last for life. And one thing I love, they're supremely smooth, shock-absorbing wheels for easy gliding through your travels through whatever airport you're zooming through. And hot off the press, the Simpatico collection of hard-sided luggage. It's new and improved and just launched on BriggsRiley.com. That's Briggs-Riley.com. It has the new one-touch feature, which allows you to expand your luggage, pack it, and then compress it to its original size. So a carry-on can still fit in the overhead compartment, and that's just one of the new features. It's available in black, navy, and olive. So check out all the Briggs and Riley offerings at Briggs-Riley.com. That's Briggs-Riley.com. Welcome back, everybody. It's been a while. This is Alex Bigler, and I'm here for another Feedback Friday segment. This time, instead of talking to Peter Hamby, I am here with John Kelly, who made time in his very, very busy schedule to chat with me. Hey, John. Oh, to what do I owe this pleasure, Alex? I'm thrilled to be here. Frankly, I thought I was fired from the podcast, so I'm also <laughs> Just thrilled. Just the podcast. To, I'm also thrilled to be here. For now, it was a little bit of an office space where the bug has been fixed type situation. 
situation. <laughs> well, it's great to see you. How have you been? I've been fine, thanks. And I enjoy these segments. As you know, you're you're one of my favorite people at Puck, and we're homies. And I have always admired the way that you've sort of found this middle ground between marketing guru and proxy for our fans and subscribers. And I think it's really valuable. That is very nice of you to say. Thanks, John. I wanted to talk with you today because we it's the start of the year, mm-hmm. January 27th, mm-hmm. and we have so many interesting things going on that we've already done in the past couple of weeks that we have coming up in the next couple of weeks that I was excited to chat with you about and get your live reactions on some of them. Let's jump into it. Great. So the big news for me recently is I was at Sundance with Matt Bellany, mm-hmm. as you know. Mm-hmm. We had a great time. Mm-hmm. He is like the mayor of Sundance. I bet. And had this moment where I was talking to someone on the plane and she kind of looked over at my screen and said, oh, do you know Puck? And I said, oh, I work at Puck. She said, I, I read Puck religiously. Mm. And I said, no way. Do you really? She goes, everybody on this Delta flight reads Puck. Everyone knows who Matt Bellany is, which was a really lovely live feedback moment. And she asked if I knew Fritz. I said, we've never met in person, but... That's a good answer. I'm not surprised to hear that. I was actually just having lunch with my childhood best friend, and he brought up the town immediately and was was thrilled to know that I and and we were were affiliated with that great show and and with all the, the great work Matt's doing, and I'm not surprised that he is the mayor of uh, of Deer Valley and, and the, the associated areas. Is he a snowboarder or a skier, do you think? You know, I don't want to answer for Matt. Matt grew up on the beach. Um, I think he's from Laguna. Mm. And so I'm always surprised by how West Coast people can be also mountain sports people. Mm-hmm. But I think that he was more, he grew up more of a surfer as a kid than uh, um, a skier. But you'll have to ask him. Yeah, I'll report back next year okay, great. on that answer. Really hard-hitting journalism You're on doing my a great end. job so far. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> so we also have a lot of big inner circle updates coming up in the next couple of weeks and, and over the course of the next year. As you know, you work, you and I work really closely on always trying to think of new products and new ways to engage our our subscribers, but particularly our inner circle subscribers. Um, and one of the big things we're doing is this afternoon, we're having a call with Matt and David Heron of The Quorum to go through some of Puck's original research that we worked with David on to understand brand equity across the streamers. Do you want to talk a little bit about that initiative? Sure. Oh, sure. Uh, this was our first party data project. Matt has a relationship with David Heron and, and The Quorum. And, but Matt was really interested in figuring out a number of pressing questions about how consumers view the streamers. I've come to think of it, maybe this is a little sophomoric, but as sort of a, a power ranking. I, I think about the college football playoffs and how they have this algorithmic way of recognizing the success of a team based on who they've played, who they've beaten, et cetera, et cetera. And there are all kinds of polling and, and data encapsulation that David Heron and his team came up with to explain how consumers view and value the biggest streamers in in our economy. And, you know, one really interesting, interesting thing that Matt pointed out on Sunday was that there's a serious recall problem. Streaming is really new. We, we, we all t- kind of take it for granted, but, you know, it's... 10 years old, and a number of people, we saw this in the poll, don't have excellent recall. They don't quite remember where they heard about a show or saw a show. It all blends in. Usually they think that everything good is on Netflix, which is a a great problem to have. But that's really challenging for a number of these other companies as they invest 
billions and billions of dollars in creating this content and marketing it and then finding out that they're that they're not getting any consumer credit for it, which is a big challenge. Anyway, I'm excited to hear this conversation. I'm really glad that that uh, Matt brought this in. And I think it's probably just the beginning of, you know, more first party data for us in 2023. I think it's great. And Matt worked really closely with David Heron to think through this study as well, what would be interesting to readers, etc. And so the full results of the survey, as I understand, are going to be made available to our Inner Circle subscribers. And then for this call this afternoon, we've had over 100 people sign up for it, which is oh, great. Fantastic. We're excited. Great. So we're definitely looking forward to doing more things of that nature over the course of 2023. What other feedback you got, Alex? I've been saving this one to share with you in particular that I got on uh, Friday, January 13th. Mm. I thought it was delightful and I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to read it. Someone wrote in, I quite foolheartedly elected to cancel my Puck subscription. Since doing so, I've come to find Puck an exceptional and indispensable part of my daily news consumption. Mm. Is there any way you can please uncancel me? I said no. Oh. You, you, <laughs> You're going on a list. Fool me once, shame on you. Yeah. Fool me once, sh- <laughs> just kidding. We, of course, reinstated their subscription, but was you know I that almost meant more to me than people who just love Puck automatically. Mm-hmm. Kind of when you get a taste and then leave and feel like something was missing from your life by not having us in your inbox. So, well, I liked that one. Thanks for passing that on. We don't take success for granted here uh, on any level. I, I think that as we've had some time to reflect at the end of 22 and beginning of 23, we are gobsmacked by how much our brand is becoming a piece of the cultural firmament, and we don't take any of it for granted. And that kind of feedback is astonishingly delightful. This is a person that we've never met before saying wonderful things about cultural product that we and a great team of 25 people are creating every day and it's media so you you create something new every day under mm-hmm. an, an existing banner it's an in- incredible business to be in and those notes are actually very very motivating to me every now and then when i get a nice email like that i'll actually print it out either here or at my home office and um and put it in a drawer and uh, not just for a rainy day but but those are important reminders of why we're on the journey he says a drawer, but he means he hand frames them and <laughs> hangs them yeah. around the wall. I sketch his... them in calligraphy with my feather mm-hmm. pen. That's exactly correct. Yes, that's the vision people want of you. <laughs> so we're here to sell the sizzle, not the steak. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, I mean, the only other main feedback that I've gotten the last couple of weeks was people asking what happened to the Feedback Friday segment. <laughs> so I'm thrilled to be back. And I... Just I'm so excited of everything we have coming up in, in 2023. I'm not going to pretend like it's not a lot mm-hmm. of work, but it's really exciting stuff. In-person events with our Inner Circle members, you know, looking at new verticals, all sorts mm-hmm. of things. So I hope everybody keeps their eyes and ears open. It's going to be a ride. And one piece of feedback that I've uh, gathered from Sundance, too, is that people are still talking about the puck socks that uh, some roving puck executive created and and maybe you know where people can find more of it. And I've also heard about the uh, what's a person who's being referred to as the the funicular state trooper <laughs> who was just going up and down the funicular all day long for for two days. I, you maybe you know anything about the, the, this person? I don't know. If you heard anything about the funicular getting stuck for twenty minutes with any sort of media executives inside of it, I don't know what you're talking about. 
fuzzy socks couldn't possibly have been me. Doesn't sound like fuzzy socks are on brand for me. Mm-hmm. But I'll see what I can find for you. We'll see if there's any extras no, um, to share with folks. It's funny. What, what happens in Utah stays in Utah. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me today. I love having these calls with you. This is a treat for me, too. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Don't lie. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.